Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. So, um, let's jump in this morning. If you've got your Bibles or your devices this morning, if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. We're going to spend most of our morning going through that text. And while you turn there, uh, man, I keep telling you how excited I am. And I want to tell you again that uh, I want to kind of open up with why I'm excited. I was looking back on some old notes from sermons preached over the last several years because, let's be honest, as a preacher, you face the pressure of feeling like you've got to preach something fresh and new every time you get up here, right? But let's be honest, the Bible doesn't change. And so the Bible is established and is the truth in our lives. So there's really, I shouldn't feel that pressure in the sense that God is unchanging and God is going to be the vessel in which you receive whatever it is that he's speaking to you today. I just have to lay it out. And so, but, but anyway, I still get this pressure of feeling like I've got to come up with some new topic, some fancy title. Uh, and, and in doing so, I noticed uh, we've been here a little over six years now, as I said, and uh, in our capacity as staff pastors, over those six years, this is our six new years at Generations Church, I've had the honor and privilege of doing three New Year's Day sermons, or three of the first of the year sermons. So I'm claiming this, now that I'm the student pastor, I'm claiming the first Sunday of every year as Brad Dansell Sunday. And... Uh, I can, I can say that because Pastor Brian's watching online and he's not sitting over there. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. In all seriousness, man, I'm humbled and honored at every opportunity, but especially humbled and honored today because God has been doing some incredible, unbelievable things at Generations Church over the last several months, almost a year. And to just be a small part of that is a, is a privilege and an honor that I don't take lightly. In fact, I was telling the kids my kids the other night, not the students, but my kids, uh, we were doing our kind of nighttime devotional and prayer time, and this was just a few days ago, and I was just kind of quiet, and um, they were, we were talking about what we wanted to pray for that night, and uh, I just kind of said, I said, Daddy needs prayer, because in that moment, and I don't know what it was, I don't know what happened, but in that moment, uh, I just felt the burden and the weight of this moment. Because again, there's something that God is doing and wants to continue to do in our church into 2023, and I don't take lightly for one second the freedom that can come from walking in the grace of God if you've not been there in 2022. Man, 2023 is your moment. I read, a, I read something online the other day. It said, don't uh, over-spiritualize the new year and going into 2023 because maturity is found in the mundane. And I believe that and, and I, I understand that. And some, somewhere along the way, I wrestle with that. But here's what I know is God is a God of new beginnings. 
And so when we talk about a new year, I believe that God puts new years in our lives because he wants us to recognize that he is a God that starts new things from old things. And so if you've been in a season maybe where you've just kind of been walking through uh, life or just kind of, you know, passively walking through your faith journey, man, I encourage you, 2023 is a moment. You know, we all say, man, I can't believe how fast 2022 went, right? Before you knew it, it was August, and then before you knew that, it was Thanksgiving, and now Christmas is over, and it happened so fast. Well, can I tell you, 2023 is not going to slow down. And so if you're waiting for a moment of God to happen in your life, maybe today is that day, and I believe that God's got something very powerful for us. And uh, I'm going to turn on this timer in hopes that it keeps me short-winded. <laughs> Exodus chapter 16. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin. Catch that. Uh, went into the wilderness of Sin. That's a whole sermon on its own. I'm not preaching that today, but I don't want you to miss it. If you want to go do a study, go do Exodus 16 on the wilderness of Sin. But Elam and Mount Sinai, they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. One month, 30 days after leaving the land of Egypt. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Catch this, because we're going to talk a whole bunch about this moment right here. All right? Then the Lord, or, but now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is now God talking directly to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, not against us. What have we done that you should complain about us? Then Moses adds, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard all your complaints against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Then Moses said to Aaron, announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. Don't miss that. Present yourself before the Lord, so now you go stand before that guy that you're complaining about. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out toward the wilderness. There they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. Lord, we love you. We offer today to you. God, I pray that today's words would just be um, utterances spoken before man, that it might captivate and change hearts because it's your word. God, I thank you, Lord, that uh, I can stand before a group of people uh, reading your word, 
knowing that it moves and changes hearts and minds. God, I pray, I pray for this moment to be one of glory, honor, and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me catch you up real quick. <clears throat> so uh, as you see in verse 1, we're about 45 days, uh, 30, 30 days or so, 30 to 45 days, somewhere in that window, uh, of God releasing the Israelites from the reign of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And then as we all know, so we, we witnessed the 10 plagues, Pharaoh releases the Israelites, they go, they change their mind, they flip the script, they start chasing after them, they get to the Red Sea, the Israelites are like, ah, and uh, then Jesus, or I'm sorry, then God parts the Red Sea and the Israelites go through the Red Sea, get to the other side, the Egyptians try to follow him in, he closes the Red Sea, the Israelites are free, right? Caught you guys up to the whole Moses story, Exodus introduction. We're all following at a very high level, but we're all following. So here we go. Now, let me say this. That was just two chapters ago. That was Exodus 14, where the Red Sea parts and then destroys the Egyptians. So in chapter 14, you see this miraculous thing happen. I don't know about you. I've never seen water parted so that you could walk through it as a huge group of people right? And they literally stood at the shore knowing they were about to be re captured and sent back into captivity and the waters parted. Think about that moment and what the Israelites had to feel or sense in that moment of God literally opening the waters and freeing his people, right? And so then in chapter 15 of Exodus, you get this song of deliverance. So they're remembering back on what they just experienced, and because of what they just experienced, this song comes from within them that they can't contain, and they begin to worship God for delivering them from this situation, right? And then at the end of chapter 15, you get, uh, you get the bitter water at Merah, right? And uh, for those of you who don't know the story, they walked up, they were in the wilderness, they hadn't really had anything to drink for days, they walk up to this, uh, uh, in some translations, oasis, I just love that word, oasis, it makes it sound so pristine, and they walk up and drink the water in this oasis, and the water's too bitter to drink, they can't drink the water. So imagine that, going days without water, you come up on this beautiful site, and listen, if I've gone days without water, I don't care how the water tastes. So think about how bitter it had to be for them not to drink it, right? And they had complained their way up through this, and then you get to chapter 16 right here. And we find ourselves, again, looking at this group of people and uh, the Israelites, where in chapter 15, it says, God made this decree, if you listen to me carefully and you hear my voice, he says, I am the Lord that heals you. The voice of God literally spoke to the Israelite people and said, I am the God who heals you in chapter 15. Just verses before we see in chapter 16. And we, see, and we see this moment. It says, There too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat. Now listen, I'm all about 
a pot filled with meat. I'm the guy who goes to Sonny's and gets like as many meats as you can get, right? Forget all the vegetables, forget all the sides. Like, there's something special about a pot filled with meat. But we don't see that documented before now. And so here's, here's the point I'm trying to make, and, and, and I'm going to get to the first point in a moment, is that sometimes our circumstances can drive our thoughts. And so what they knew as captivity and what they knew as slavery and what they knew as a dire situation has now changed to an all-you-can-eat buffet because somewhere in the middle was a wilderness season. And I wonder, I wonder this morning if that's us. If that sometimes we get into these seasons of discomfort and we forget what God has taken us from and instead we'd rather try to dictate where we're going. So this morning as we, as we dive into Exodus 16, we're, gonna read, we're just going to read through Exodus 16. So it's like 30-something verses long. I think it's 36, uh, you know, we're going to go through every one of them, so I hope you're ready. The Bible is the Bible's a good thing, and, uh, but I want to go through the theological principle with you today of being content, of being content. So I've titled this message today, Enough is Enough. You've heard people say enough is enough, as in they're drawing the line, they're taking no more. And I think that's kind of what the Israelites are saying in this moment. Enough is enough, God. We're done with it. We're tired of wandering. We haven't had food or water. We're sick of it. And enough is enough. We want to either go back to Egypt or we want to die. Enough is enough. But my encouragement to you this morning is as we look at the Israelite people, I hope that we'll get to the place of being believers that as God pours out His Spirit in our lives, we, begin to not, we don't say enough is enough. We begin to say enough is enough. Enough is really enough. You see, so my question to you this morning is have you ever witnessed the goodness of God? the miracles of God, the glory of God, or the voice of God in your life. You see, I'm so challenged by this passage of Scripture because if I'm honest with you this morning, I tend to lean kind of negative analytical. It's just my nature. It's my personality. It's... Now, I justify it in that I tell everybody I'm a realist. Right? I'm just a realist. I'm a... Uh, um... But... If you really begin to look at what that means, it's I analyze all the pitfalls and I tell you all the reasons why things won't work out instead of taking the risk of knowing that they will. And so I kind of tend and lend myself towards that negative side. Uh, so with that said, I, I can honestly say that I've probably been in a situation much like the Israelites where they've witnessed what God has done and they know the goodness of God but rather than looking at what God has done in their life, they see a situation in front of them that seems too dire to conquer. 
that seems too desperate to believe that God could do anything else in. You see, uh, not that long ago, as we talked about, they witnessed the Red Sea. They witnessed the power of the ten plagues in Egypt. They witnessed the miracle of changing bitter water to water that they could drink in Marah. And yet, and yet, all it took was a few days of aimless wandering, and all of a sudden, God's leaders were now an issue, Moses and Aaron were unqualified, and we'd rather be dead. You see, they literally make the statement, God, kill us if you're not going to take us out of this. And I wonder if you've ever been in a toxic situation where you pray and you pray and you pray that God will remove you out of, only to find yourself after God has taken you out of that place, only praying again that he would do more. And that it wasn't good enough where you are anymore. And so I remember working for the city, because let's be honest, it wasn't all that long ago. Um, <laughs> and things had gotten a little stale, right? Things had gotten, and this was, this was years and years ago, but I kind of felt like I was hitting kind of a dead end where I was. And there wasn't really a place to grow there. And so I just started to pray that God would open up some doors. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know if that was going to be with the city, not at the city, in ministry, not at ministry. Uh, again, this is not this season. This was like eight, nine years ago, back when I first started. And I was sitting at a desk, literally just scanning paper all day, every day, 40 hours a week. I put paper in a scanner. I looked at the paper on the screen. I put paper in a scanner. I looked at the paper on the screen. It was miserable. If you do any sort any sort of that kind of document management aspect, man, I praise and applaud you because that was not for me. And, uh, but, but I just began to pray like, God, what is next? What's the open door? And he did just that. He began to open doors that I couldn't open. He began to, uh, they began to shift. Uh, I say they, the leadership that I was under began to kind of shift my roles and my responsibilities. And I started to take on things that I had never done and never worked on before. I was doing like new construction with like multi-million dollar budgets. Coming from scanning documents to multi-million dollar budgets. I was, uh, I was now a facility manager. I oversaw all the maintenance in the facility. I, I could barely hammer a nail in straight, and they're telling me I'm the maintenance guy. Uh, it, I, I was in charge of the emergency management aspect, and uh, man, the doors uh, just began to kind of open uh, as I began to make myself available. And uh, if I had to be honest, the raise that came along with that was really what I was looking for. Um, again, realist, again, realist, realist. Um, but the more opportunity that came my way, the busier I got. And the more times they had to call my work-issued cell phone after hours. And I began on, during storm response having to work 16-hour days and sleep in the office during those storm responses. And, and there was just, it, be, it began to become something that I didn't think I had prayed for. I prayed for an open door. The doors got opened, but then what I found myself doing is complaining about the circumstances of exactly what I had prayed for. 
And so we find ourselves looking at the Israelites in the exact same moment. They had prayed, they got what they prayed for, and I had an old boss that say they got everything they wanted but nothing they asked for. And so I wonder if in your life you found yourself in these moments or in these seasons where you get the goodness of God or God does a miracle in your life or you hear directly from God and it begins to move and shift you into an area that you've never been before. It's beginning to open doors in your life that have never been opened. You now have healing that you never thought that you would experience. But now that you have that, enough isn't enough. Enough isn't enough. So my first thought to you this morning is that gratitude always gives way to grumbling. Gratitude always gives way to grumbling. You see, the Israelites here had found themselves in this position. Their way out of having great, or they had complained to get out. And now, instead of having grateful hearts from where they came from, They've got grumbling lips for where they don't know where they're going. So grumbling has taken the place of the gratitude that should be flowing from them. And my fear for myself and for us is that we continue to walk through this season like we experienced in 2022. Man, I pray that God continues to do greater things and pour out his spirit in ways that we could never fathom. I pray that that doesn't stop in 2023. Our staff gets together and we continue to pray that we would just continue to be able to shepherd this moment and this season because we we're like, we don't feel qualified to know what God's doing. And that's a good place as a pastor to be, let me tell you. We want God to move and we don't want to understand it, but we also know that as pastors, we've got to shepherd a congregation to maintain and stay within the parameters and the presence of God. And so we feel that pressure and we pray that over 2023, that it would continue to just rain and fall in signs, wonders, and miracles. But here's my fear, is that if we're not careful to celebrate what we've seen, we'll begin to complain about the unknown. And if we're not careful, the gratitude of what we saw in 2023 will, be, will become the grumbling of us going through a wilderness season in 2023 should the wilderness come. And so, and so we dive in, and I believe that that's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, because here's what I know. If we don't have the thanksgiving part, our prayers start to look a lot like complaints. You ever found yourself in that place? You're going through a season, you're like, God? All right, God. I know you brought me here, but... I know you work all things together for good, but... If we're not thankful for what God has done, we open ourselves up to complaining about what he's not doing. And so because Paul understood this, thanksgiving in our hearts, our prayers would look more like or our prayers can look more like compliments than complaints. Thank you God for what you've done. We worship you God for who you are. 
We thank you, God. When I was in a point of misery and despair, you took beauty for ashes and you made something new out of it. Thank you, Lord. Compliments over complaints. Exodus chapter 16, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Let me tell you, this isn't a part of today's sermon, but the Lord hears you. The Lord hears you. Complaining or complimenting, the Lord hears you. I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is food the Lord has given you to eat. There are the Lord, these are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when, when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. You see, so you get this moment where the Israelites have complained. They've wished death upon themselves. And yet for some strange reason, God still shows up. And he says, I've heard you complaining, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go above and beyond, and I'm going to provide in a magnificent, miraculous way in this moment. Because I want you to see who I am. You've been wandering in the wilderness. You've been tested now for your faith, and all you've got is complaint. So let me show myself to you. God gives them this chance. God provides again. And what do they do? Because... uh, the Israelites take everything they need. <clears throat> it says they're more concerned with what they, or it says that they had enough. Each family had just what it needed. So they took it, but then they didn't follow the commands, right? The command was don't keep anything. Because here's what God wanted to do God wanted to continue to show his faithfulness. And I think we do that sometimes, right? We'll get a little bit of what God has for us and we'll try to store it up and save it and we'll just kind of run on that instead of it just being enough and then the next time we need God's faithfulness, letting God be enough and then the next time we need God's faithfulness, letting God be enough. We try to make God enough in the first instance and then it's us. And then it's us, right? And so that's what the Israelites do. They try to keep it for the second night. Well, God's like, okay, I've got a solution for that. Go eat that bread with maggots. I bet nobody touched it. I explained to Mason the other day what maggots were. And his face turned pale white. 
And uh, I said, yeah, that's what was crawling all over their bread. And he's like, ill dad. You see, what God had only meant for that moment and that season was all they needed. In that moment, enough was enough. So can I remind you this morning that provision gives way to pride. Provision gives way to pride. The Israelites thought that they knew better than the commands that God gave to Moses. They figured, we'll outsmart God. We'll take what we need, but in what we need, we'll save a little bit. Right? You see, they thought they had the answer, that it was within them that they knew what was going on and happening. You see, but provision gives way to pride. You see, and here's, here's the lesson here that I want to make clear, because God didn't stop giving the manna. You'll see here in a minute. It came every day as God promised. Right? So the promise doesn't change. And I'm going to be honest with you, the provision doesn't really change. It's the stewardship of that provision that changes. And so God continues to give. He continues to pour out. But when we make it about us, when we make it about what we think is right, we put limits on the provision now. So when God says it's enough, when God gives you that job and gives you the paycheck to pay all your bills and it's just enough to make sure you have no debt, but I go out and get a credit card, now I've put parameters on the provision of God. You following me? It doesn't change God's promise. It doesn't change God's blessing. It only changes the parameters because of my pride. Because again, as I said already, God doesn't change. God doesn't change. So it's not that God stops giving, but rather the Israelites have become poor stewards of what, God's, of what God's doing in this moment. Exodus 16, verse 21. Provision gives way to pride. Verse 21, after this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. So they learn their lesson. They're not eating the bread with maggots. Now they're going out daily and picking it up morning by morning. As the sun became hot, the flakes that had not been picked up, melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. We could preach about Sabbath. I'm not going to. Just know that God wants you to rest. He doesn't want you to be tired. All right? The other piece of this that I want to make point to is God doesn't change the provision in this moment. The bread or the manna and the quail and all of that, it doesn't change on day six. So if it continued the pattern on day seven for what they stored up, it should have maggots on it. It should be no good, right? But God's blessing here is that his promise was that on the seventh day it would still be good, and God's promise stays true. So catch that. So they put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. 
And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground. Some of the people went out anyway, but they found no food. They went out anyway. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? This verse, it, I kind of chuckled when I read this verse, because I, I just, I hear it so plainly from God to Moses. Like, how long is it going to take these folks to get it? Right? Like, I just feel like that's how Moses and God were. Like, there's this holy moment, this holy reverence that Moses had, and then there's moments like this where God's just like, they're just, they're just not going to get it. They're just not. The Lord asked Moses, how long would these people refuse to obey? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go pick food. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. Finally, they listened. Finally. They listened, and then they didn't listen, and now they've listened. They didn't go out on the seventh day. But they found themselves again in a bout of disobedience. And why? Here's what I, here's what I think happens here in this section. Worship gives way to worry. Worship gives way to worry. Here's what I mean by that. It, they were so worried about what they weren't going to have on the seventh day that they didn't slow down to worship the holy day of God on the seventh day. Listen, they just walked through the wilderness. They didn't have food for like 30 days. They could survive one day after having been fed for the last six. Right? They could survive. They could make it. But instead... Instead, they felt like they had to store it up. And why? Because they were worried about what they were going to lack rather than valuing the importance of worship in that moment. You want to know why I think people walk away from faith? Because their worship has stopped. Because they're worried about what's going on around them. You can't find yourself in a place where you're at the feet of Jesus and you're worshiping and adoring the Father in heaven who loves you and be concerned by the chaos going on in the world around you. It doesn't work that way. It's either one or the other. And so I think what happens is, is when we begin to worry about our circumstances, when we begin to worry about our chaos, when we begin to worry about what we lack, our worship stops. So the emphasis on being in this house, the emphasis on finding ourselves in the presence of God goes away. And when we've been away for long enough, it becomes common. Worship gives way to worry. I'm the youth pastor. I can step on some toes this morning. And my timer's yellow, so it means I'm almost done. 
I think, I think that that's why church attendance is declining. And I don't just mean at Generation Church, I mean the global church. I think that's why church attendance is declining. Because we find ourselves here worried about the world, worried about politics, worried about what law is going to affect me next, instead of finding ourselves here worshiping the God that is evident throughout here that says, I love you, I care about you, to the point where I died for you. And out of that comes this reverence that says, God, I love you and I thank you. We're also worried about what we lack. You say, well, I'm not the Israelites. I might be worried about that stuff, but I've got enough. Do you? Or are we more worried about, here's where I'm going to step on your toes, if our kid makes a travel ball team? Are we more worried about if my, ki- if my kid, again, youth pastor, if my kid in- desires to have more time in their extracurricular activities than time at an altar? Because I'm worried about what my kid's going to miss out on I'm worried about what I'm going to lack if my kid doesn't have what all the other kids have. I'm worried about what I'm going to lack if I don't get to go do the things that I want to do instead of sacrificing a little time on a Sunday morning to come to church and praise and glorify the God in heaven who loves and died for me. I wonder if we do that because we're worried about what we lack if we've got this worry or concern or fear of missing out rather than this engagement of what God wants to pour out in our lives and what God wants to do in our lives and the fact that God wants to bring His glory and His honor back to Him. So there's a holy day set apart and He's given commands and written instructions for what that holy day should look like. But instead of honoring the holy day, we're worried about what's going on over there. Worship gives way to worry. Can I encourage you with this this morning? Don't miss the miraculous for the meaningless. Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven. Store up your treasures in heaven. I'm not against you having a big house. I'm not against you being involved in all the sports team. Listen, I'm baseball coach at heart. I want you to play sports. I want you to be involved. I want you to do all those things. But when we sacrifice that at the altar rather than sacrifice ourselves, something is wrong in our priority spectrum. Don't miss the miraculous for the meaningless. So how do we shift from enough not being enough to enough being enough. Verse 31. The Israelites called the food manna. It was white like coriander sea, and it tasted like honey wafers. Bet it was good after 30 days. <laughs> then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Fill a two-quart container with manna to preserve it for your descendants. Then later generations will be able to see the food I gave you in the wilderness when I set you free from uh, Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, get a jar and fill it with two quarts, then put it in a sacred place before the Lord to preserve it 
for all future generations. Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He eventually placed it in the Ark of the Covenant. So he took what God had commanded him to collect and he put it in the presence of God. There is no more beautiful picture than this moment where Aaron, out of their despair and desperation, obeys the commands of God and finds himself at an altar that he has built before God. I told you, we want our students to have spiritual encounters, not because I think that uh, it's just, oh, we're going to come, we're going to pray, we're going to worship, we're going to do a thing. No, I think there's power in finding yourself at a place where the presence of God is. I think the presence of God changes and moves and, and, and rebuilds and restores. And the grace of God shows his love and his mercy on us in ways that have never been understood. There's something powerful when we find ourselves in the place of obedience and sacrifice right before God. So the people of Israel ate manna. Listen, the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years. 40 years. They went from nothing to more than enough. Nothing to more than enough. So now we've shifted because of obedience and sacrifice. So how do we shift from enough not being enough to enough to being enough, selfishness must give way to sacrifice. Selfishness must give way to sacrifice. You see, when we begin to create an altar to God, they stored up bread in a jar, but it was so much more than just the bread in the jar, because let's be honest, the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant didn't need bread. The generations to come needed the bread. But it wasn't that the generations to come were going to get the bread that was in the ark. Because the generations to come weren't going to be able to go to the ark. Or in the ark. They could go to it, but they couldn't go in it. They couldn't touch it. So the generations to come weren't going to get that bread. That bread was about the obedience and the sacrifice that said, God, you have blessed us. And this time, we're not going to forget it. We're going to establish it as the foundation for our kids and our kids' kids and our kids' kids' kids. Because selfishly, I stored all this up, but sacrificially, I'm giving it back to you. There's something powerful that happens when you sacrifice for someone. David says that it's one of my favorite verses, and you probably heard me. I probably said it up here before. David says, I will not give that which cost me nothing. I will not give that which cost me nothing. Why is that powerful to me? Because it is a moment where you see King David sacrificing. The most meaningful things in life come from sacrifice. The other day I finished all of my educational classes portion, continuing education, whatever you want to call it, uh, for my next level of credentials, which is ordination. So I'm finished up. And uh, I couldn't tell you how excited I was the other day. And uh, I just finished the last class Thursday afternoon. 
And it may sound like a little thing to you, but afterwards, we had plans to have dinner at the house. We had all these things that we were doing. It's been a busy season, so we're trying to stay home. And I get home, and of course, our dinner plans didn't work out at home, and the kids are there, and we're having a good time. And Melissa says, well, we want to take you out to celebrate. We want to take you out to celebrate. Why do I bring that up? Because here's, here's the thing. There's sacrifice involved in doing that. Because it wasn't about them. It was about celebrating me. And I don't say that selfishly for me. I say that they sacrificed. And there's power in somebody else's sacrifice. You see, they sacrificed time. They sacrificed finances. They sacrificed getting to play with toys and having to sit proper and behaved at a restaurant while dad says, don't do that. Right? They had to sacrifice. And it meant so much to me. Again, not because I finished classes, not because, not because, but that I witnessed them not giving anything that wouldn't cost them something. Selfishness gives way to sacrifice. What else do we see here? Fear gives way to faith. Fear gives way to faith. You see, they were doing this with the intention of setting the display and example for generations to come. But here's what I've learned, again, youth pastor. You don't set things up for generations to come unless you have faith that the same God's going to do something for that generation. If your faith is in the failure of God, what you perceive is the failure of God, rather than the blessing of God, then you're not setting it up for future generations. But what you see here is a turn. You see them switch, and you say, if I'm going to set it up for them, I've got to have faith in the blessing of God. I've got to establish my family at this altar and know that God has taken us through the Red Sea. He's taken us out of Egypt. He's turned bitter water into drinkable water. He's literally poured bread from heaven. And I want to establish that in future generations to come. And to do that, I've got to have a little faith. You see, rather than being afraid of what they didn't know, they were now faithful and, what, and who God was because of who he's been. Is enough enough? Worship team, you can come. As we close this thing out, there's one last thing, and this might be my kind of most, this is the most interesting one to me, but this is also my favorite one. Um, because this is where I feel like God's got our youth going, and I hope in 2023 where we feel like Generation Church is going. How do we shift from enough, not being enough, to enough is enough? Results give way to relationship. I've said it, and I'm going to say it again. There is a God in heaven who knows you, loves you, and has given everything for you. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, for God so loved me, that he gave his only son. That he sent everything down from heaven so that no man should perish, but that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. 
And what does that mean? That means you will have relationship with him for eternity. What do the Israelites recognize in this moment? You see, up until this point, it was all about what God could give them. They wanted the result of God moving. They saw God as a distant God in heaven who, didn't, who, who obviously cared about his people, but he didn't want to be there with him. They just wanted the result. They appreciated the results of getting out of uh, Egypt. They appreciated the result of splitting the Red Sea. They appreciated the result of water and manna and quail. They loved the results of God. But here's what I see in this last passage of Scripture, is they found themselves at the place of the Ark of the Covenant, which was the literal presence of God. And it was in this moment that it shifted, that it changed, because in this moment they recognized that God doesn't care about the results in your life. He only cares to have relationship with you. How do we shift in 2023 to enough being enough? It's about having relationship with the God in heaven. It's not about what he can give you. It's not about what he can do for you. Those things are great, and I pray those things over you. We're go- we'll continue to pray for healing if you need healing. We'll continue to pray for provision if you need provision. We'll continue to pray for the Spirit of God to pour Himself out in a new, fresh way in your life. And I believe that those things change and move you to a better place, but only because it shifts your relationship with the God in heaven who loves you. It's not about the results that we see on this side of heaven. You see, the blessing isn't in the miracle. The blessing is in the hope that there's a God in heaven who loves and cares about me enough to send the miracle. He's got a great plan for you. And there is a reward for you in heaven one day. And you may not witness the miracle on this side of heaven, but I hope that that doesn't detract from your relationship with him on this side of heaven. You see, I've been so impressed lately on my heart with this passage of scripture that says that before you were ever formed, he knew you. Before you were ever formed, he knew you. I want you to breathe that in real quick. I don't care if you're one month or one century old. I don't care. Before you were born, before you were formed, before you were thought about, he knew you. He knew your weaknesses. He knew your insecurities. He knew your failures. He knew your joys. He knew your triumphs. He knew you before you were ever formed. You see, it's not about the result. It's about the relationship. And I hope, I hope, as we move into 2023, as we proclaim that it's a fresh start and a new beginning, that I don't have to ride the coattails 
of disappointment because I know enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. So with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, maybe you stand before me today, you say, Pastor Brad, I'm on the other end of that spectrum. I have had it. I'm saying enough is enough. I'm giving up on life. I'm giving up on my faith journey. I'm giving up because enough is enough. I've had it. Can I encourage you today that there is hope in the name and person of Jesus? Because he's enough. I can't tell you that that's going to change your circumstances. I can't tell you that that's going to change your surroundings. But what I can tell you is a relationship with him is going to change your hope. So if that's you today, if you said enough is enough, I've given up, I've had it. I walked in these doors with no hope. But I recognize today that God is moving in my life, in my heart, and I want to proclaim the hope of Jesus in my life by making my relationship right with him today. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around. I just want you to slip your hand in the air and say, I need my relationship to be right. That for too long I've been worried about the results and I just need some relationship. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Just anybody else in the house, just last opportunity. If this is, if that's you, enough is enough. I just need a little hope. Yeah, I just want to pray with you. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're on the other end of that. Maybe you say, Pastor Brad, enough has been enough. And I'm ready to walk into 2023 with the hope, joy, and exuberance that comes from knowing that my relationship with God is all that I need to get me through. If that's you this morning, I just want you to stand up. We're going to sing a praise and a worship to God that says, says, God, you are enough. That says, you are enough in my life. We're going to praise the God in heaven who is enough. So before this worship team sings, if you'd stand in this place, everybody across the building, just stand up. And I want to pray over those folks. But in your own way, I want you to pray. I want you to say something along the lines of, because I can't pray for you. I can't, I can't do that. I've got my own relationship that I've got to keep. But if that's you, you raised your hand, you say, my relationship is not in the right place. My hope is not in the right place, but today I'm making a stand. I'm going to pray over you, and all you have to say is, God, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross to eliminate the sin and my mess-ups and my mistakes in my life. And I thank you that my relationship with you can be made right, not because of anything that I do, but because of the grace that was paid for me on the cross. And so, God, I pray over those individuals who raised their hands this morning and said, God, I need a little hope in my life. I need to restore my, rest, or my relationship with you. God, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would encourage, that you would send peace, God, and that you would restore that relationship. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are a redeeming Father who brings your children back to you. So, Lord, I thank you, Lord, 
that in those areas where we may not have had relationship with you or we need hope in our relationship with you, you are a God who calls us back. So God, I pray that redeeming love, that restorative love over those folks that raised their hand in this place this morning. And God, for the rest of us, as we stand up and give you praise and glory for being enough, God. Lord, I pray, I pray that results would give way to relationship in this moment, God. And it wouldn't be about a feeling. It wouldn't be about, uh, a, it wouldn't be about some moment, God, but it, that this moment would be an encounter with you. That it would be a real moment where we pour out praises to you because we have relationship with you knowing that you're enough. Would you worship God with us this morning? Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.